0: The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When God tells you the impossible is going to happen, how do you respond? How do you respond? If And, I, and I'm not talking about like, like walking through walls kind of impossible, but if God were to shake you up this morning in church, if you audibly heard the voice of an angel, how would you respond? If God told you that that you were going to experience something extraordinary, something you thought was not possible, something you've been waiting a lifetime to take place. How would you react? Because that's what we have here this morning in the story of Zechariah. In our reading today. Today's the first Sunday, as we said before, in Advent. It's the beginning of a brand new year in the church calendar. It's a season of anticipating the coming of Jesus, not only in a manger 2,000 years ago, but even more important for us to look forward and remember his promise that he will return. And our theme this year is A Weary World Rejoices. It comes from the hymn, the Christmas song that we sang at the very beginning, and the reason that we're choosing this theme this year is because, I don't know about you, but to me it does not take very long to see just how weary our world is in this particular moment. And I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the last several years and just everything that we've collectively been through. And if I knew then what I know now, I might have had some some different titles to the different Advent seasons that we had been through in the last several years. Just since 2019, I probably would have started 2019, a naive world rejoices, because we had no idea what was coming, did we? 2020 was a blindsided world rejoices. 2021, an emerging world rejoices, and this year, 2022, a weary world rejoices. We didn't know what we didn't know in 2019, and now we know so much. There's so so much change that we've been through in such a, a short period of time, so much pain, so much suffering In our world, no matter how that has affected you personally in your particular world, many psychologists and pastors alike have referred to it as a collective trauma, that the entire world has been shaken up and has been through a traumatic experience. Whether you've lost loved ones or whether the trauma has come through the divisions of our society as we rage on things like politics and culture, we have all been through an extraordinary season in life. And in many regards, it's not over, right? We, we, we have access to seeing what is going on in our world near and far. Mass shootings, inflation, the threat of world war. I was, I was telling Alyssa, my wife, Um, I was thinking back to March of 2020 at the very beginning of the pandemic. Uh, One of the first things that, um, that I did was there were these Zoom calls, these presentations that were being done with pastors from Europe and from China. And they were talking about how the initial effects of the pandemic were were hitting their churches and how to care for a congregation and a community. And it was almost like, you know, if you've ever lived in in an area where hurricanes come and, and you're watching footage from places where the hurricane is already hitting and you know you're in the path of the storm. And that was how it was being presented to us and then for many of us it didn't hit us quite the same way in some places as it did in others it didn't hit elkhorn wisconsin the same way that it did in new york city and i'm i'm grateful for that because that is not the case for every place it's not the case for every person, and yet I thought back on that experience of watching and preparing, and I feel like what we were taught to prepare for, the unknown, the, the pain, the suffering, the trauma, it's, it's hitting us in a different way now. It's hitting us in, in exhaustion and depression and confusion. It's hitting us in a world that is trying to run on all cylinders, but still very much is weary. And a weary world needs something. A weary world needs someone to rejoice in. A weary world needs hope in the impossible, which tells me that this is the perfect time for the story of Christmas. It's impossible. It's it's hard to imagine, but 2000 years ago Jesus being born was the definition of the impossible. We take that for granted each and every year because we tell the story over and over again and and not unlike a zoom call there was an angel that came literally not to 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 explain a storm that's coming but to foretell the coming of hope, And we're going to listen to the angel Gabriel as he spoke to Mary next week and explains to her what would be happening. In verse 30 of chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke, he says, You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to name Him, Jesus. And she asks some questions. She's a virgin, she's only engaged, but when he says this is of God, she responds by saying, I am the Lord's servant. Which brings me back to that question, when God tells you the impossible is going to happen, how do you respond? That's how Mary responds, and we'll talk about that next week. But I want you to compare and contrast that a little bit to the response of Zechariah. Let me read to you again what we just watched in the video. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. When the impossible is possible in God, and God comes to you and tells you that the impossible is going to happen, how do you Respond. And I want to point out that there is a commonality in the response of Mary and the one of Zechariah. The first way in which they respond is they are both afraid, they fear. And you have to put yourself in their shoes. If an angel of the Lord appeared to you today and told you that you would bear a child, and the biological requirements of that happening are not present, either you are a virgin or you are not of an age that anyone would expect you to have a child, if you were told that is going to happen, would you not be afraid? All the retired people are like, wait a minute. Where is this sermon going? How possible is this, right? This would be terrifying. And not only would it be terrifying to hear that's true, that that's a possibility, but if there's this power that can send an angel that can speak that truth into your ears and it's the same power that can make it possible that is downright terrifying. It reminds me of a quote by C.S. Lewis. Just this week, November 22nd, was the anniversary of his death back in 1963. I couldn't believe it's been that long um, since he's been alive. And, And the quote that I think of when I think of this passage is the one from his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. How many of you have read that book, seen the movie? Just awesome story. In the story, Jesus, the Messiah, is, is portrayed as a lion. And, and the lion's name is Aslan. And in there's this dialogue at this one point in the story where Susan, little girl Susan, is talking to Mr. Beaver. And Mr. Beaver is explaining the lion, explaining the Messiah whom she is about to meet. And he says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. And she says, ooh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Would you feel nervous? If you were called to meet a lion, safe, says Mr. Beaver. Who ever said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Friends, there's, there's nothing safe about a God who has such control over his creation that at the snap of his fingers, he can part the sea. There is nothing safe about a God who can flood the planet, who can make dust out of nothing and life come from dust. He can harden the heart's Of world rulers that by the movement of his spirit, he can place a child in the womb of a virgin mother. Through this miracle of his hand, he causes this couple, just like Zechariah and Elizabeth, to conceive at an old age. To be afraid of this power in your midst and speaking this truth into your heart would be the natural response. It is not sinful to be afraid. It is not wrong. If you were not afraid, that would be the thing I would be concerned about, (laughs) which tells us that for those who do not respect or fear the power of God... You might not get to the next step here in responding to the impossible that he says is possible in your life and mine. Because once you fear the power of a God who can do all things, and he tells you the impossible is possible in your life and in mine, and it's going to happen in our midst, the second way we respond is to believe. The second way that we respond is to believe. Or... As often sometimes is the case for me, sometimes we have questions. And the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of the power of God is that if God is a lion and he is all-powerful and almighty, if that is true, his will is going to be done whether or not you believe it. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but the Lord's it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. A number of years ago on Christmas Eve I I shared that Christmas is really a divine interruption. That's that's really what it is. Like holiday parties and, and Christmas gatherings and Christmas gifts, right? They interrupt our lives. They interrupt our routines. They, they interrupt our budgets, right? You still have to pay your bills in December, even though you've added a bunch of bills, right? You still have to go to work. You still have to do all the things that you do. And Christmas comes as this interruption, which is not unlike the way in which Christmas came 2,000 years ago. God did not wait for a con- Convenient time in history to send his son Jesus. He interrupted a world that was restless and sinful. He interrupted a world that was broken and weary. For Mary, Jesus came as an interruption to her engagement with Joseph. For Zechariah, God interrupted his job in the temple and he interrupted his plans for retirement. Would you imagine sitting down with your retirement advisor and saying, "You know, of all the possibilities that I want to imagine, I would like you to to make sure that I have enough resources" To have a child well into my retirement years. Has anybody ever planned for that? I don't think he was planning for this either. And this is where the two stories, Mary and Zechariah, diverge. We're going to learn next week that Mary responds, right, by believing what God says is true. That the angel can do what the angel has said. But Zechariah responds the way you might respond. And certainly the way that I might respond, he was afraid. He believed in God, but he had a hard time believing the miracle of the impossible. And I would love to get up in front of you as pastor and say that I would be more like Mary. <laughs> that if God told me that the impossible was possible in my life, that I would just take it at face value. But the reality is, I don't think that that would be true. I think I would be more like Zachariah and And I love admitting that because I see the way that God handles the Zacharias in the world who question things even though they fear, even though they believe. Verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and you will not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Notice how in both instances, Mary and Zechariah, God is going to do what God is going to do. He is a lion and his plans are not contingent upon our feelings about those plans Or how much we believe that they're true or not. And let me tell you, weary world, that is good news. Because another way of putting that would be to say this. That if you're weary, your weariness is no match for God's goodness. God is good whether you feel it or not. God is good when you're well rested and tired. God is good when you have doubts and when you are fully confident. And we see this goodness in the life of Zechariah. We see God's grace in the goodness becoming true in the life of Zechariah in two different ways. The first way is just because Zechariah doesn't believe it, again, I said it before, doesn't make it not true. God is going to do what God is going to do anyway. But the second one, and I love this, God is even willing to change our circumstances to make it possible that we would have the best chance to believe that what he says is true. In Zechariah's case, that meant making him silent until the baby was born so that he might listen To the good news of God, and pregnant women have been praying for Gabriel to come to the Father ever since then, right? He was silenced for that second part of the pregnancy. And I think about that, and I think, you know, it's kind of the same thing that happens to me at the end of the Christmas season so often. How many people here, how many of you get sick? At the end, it's just inevitable that when Christmas is done, you're, you get a cold, you get the flu, you just crash. And a show of hands, does that, does that happen to anybody? It has happened to you before. We crash after the chaos. Not because God does it to us, but it just naturally happens. And, and it's in the midst of that that our body is screaming to us, slow down so that you can get what you need, so that you can rest because you are not able to continue at this pace. And, and God gives Zachariah a gift by waiting, not, or not waiting until he gets sick to silence him, but he makes him silent that he might hear the voice of God right now. And it reminds me, several years ago, I was sitting in the office of my counselor, and I was going through a season where I was, I was feeling particularly weary. I would have described it as feeling depressed, and I felt like there was something wrong with me, for feeling that way. Pastors aren't supposed to feel depressed, is what I thought. And so I was sitting and I was I was trying to understand what it was that I was going through. And my counselor helped me to see, and I'll never forget this lesson, that, that just like you can get physically weary after a really crazy season in life, you can become emotionally or, or mentally weary or even depressed after a particularly difficult season in life. And I had been going through a particularly difficult season in life, and I was weary. But the problem was that I was beating myself up for being weary. As if there was something wrong with me, and my counselor reminded me, and maybe this is the truth that somebody here needs to hear as well. He said, to be weary is to be human. To be weary is to be human. That Sometimes to be depressed is normal. And I'm not saying that to suggest that we should not reach out for help. It's why I'm telling you, I learned this in the office of a counselor. I was reaching out for help. We all need to reach out to someone for help from time to time. And sometimes our depression goes deeper than the weariness of our circumstances. But I also know that for some of us, it doesn't. Sometimes it's 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 the circumstances around us that have led us to a place of utter mental and physical and spiritual exhaustion and we're weary and we're depressed and the story of Zechariah reminds me of those seasons and And that those seasons come to us, whether they're circumstantial or God himself closes a door to quiet us. And that in those seasons, if we are quiet and we listen, God's grace is that it's in those moments that I have found God often speaks and I often need to hear his voice the most. And I say that knowing nobody likes to get sick after the holidays, right? Right? Nobody likes to to, to be laid up. Nobody wants to be weary. Nobody wants to be depressed. I'm sure Zechariah did not like the idea of not being able to speak for a period of time. But sometimes, and we know it's true, it takes that kind of thing in our life to get us to actually slow down and listen. I mean, I know people. I know there's people in this room. I am one of these people too often that I care to admit who doesn't take a day off until they get sick. I have known people who found God in a hospital bed recovering from a significant surgery, and they find God because that is the longest moment of time that they have sat in one place and have been forced to just listen to his voice. Than they can remember. God gave the gift to Zechariah of silence. He did not wait for him to get sick or depressed or somehow ill. He gave him a gift through the form of temporarily incapacitated vocal cords. And as his faith, which we read in the previous verses, he had faith, right, impeccable faith, he was faithful to God, serving in his role, but also just as a person of faith, that faith ends up carrying him in the silence that he might hear the voice of God and believe that the impossible things God says are possible really can come true. He believes what later the apostle Peter will go on to say in 2 Peter 3, that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises some understand slowness instead he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance and so my question to you is are you are you waiting for God this morning are you waiting for God to act in your life in a way that seems impossible for him to break through to reach down to rescue you from if that's you listen 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 for his voice and know that if he has not answered that prayer yet, he is not finished yet. Let's fast forward the story of Zechariah and see what happened next. After months of being completely silent, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, they finally give birth to their son. In verse 59 it says. On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they were going to name him after his father Zechariah. This is what anybody would have done. And, and, and so it says this. His mother spoke up. And she said no he is to be called John. Because the angel said that is his Name, but they looked at the father, verse 61, and, and they said, No one among your relatives has that name. They made signs to dad, remember, he can't speak. What do you want to name the child? He asked for a writing tablet, and to everybody's surprise, he wrote, His name is, say it with me, John. And immediately his mouth was open, and his tongue was set free. And he began to speak. And what did he use his newfound gift of being able to use audible words again? He used that gift to praise God. Because back to my original question, when God tells you that the impossible is going to happen, how do you respond? You fear a God who can, who can speak it and can actually make it happen. You believe that it's true and you rejoice that it will. When you fear the Lord because he tells you that the impossible is possible, when you struggle to believe those promises, but in the waiting and the weariness, he carries you in the gift of faith after being silenced for months and months. What would the first word out of your mouth be? For Zechariah, it was praise. It was actually a song in Latin. It's the Benedictus. It's, it's this song that for, in Latin, that word means praise be. And you'll see in the Gospel of Luke, you also see that there's also, Mary has a song, right? Her song is, my soul magnifies the Lord. Her song is like a psalm, but Zachariah's song is like a prophet, it's prophetic. It's calling into the future. What it means is that when God does this miracle of bringing John into the world, he doesn't just thank God for that miracle, but he realizes that if that miracle is possible, if God can do this, then God can do everything he has ever promised in his word he will do. And so he sings a song. And it's a prophetic song of hope into the future. Verse 68, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and he has redeemed them. God has been promising for generations to redeem his people in the whole world. And even though the redeemer is still growing in the womb of his mother Mary, God's promises are as good as done in the eyes of Zechariah because he has seen The impossible become possible. And so he continues his song in verse 69. He says, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Zechariah has confidence that all of these things will happen. Even though his son John is only eight days old, this miracle gives him hope, not just for this moment, but it gives him hope for everything he longs to have hope for in the future. And the miracle of Christmas reminds us that because Jesus came 2,000 years ago, we too can have hope that the impossible is possible in him as well. An infant communicates hope Hope It's instinctive. It's why, why young families who have newborn babies often don't take their babies out in public right away. You know why? Because everybody wants to touch them. <laughs> right? Everybody likes to poke a baby. Well, the reason why everybody likes to touch a baby is because whether they realize it or not, they're drawn to this little tiny human life with this little heart that's beating in these little lungs that are filling with oxygen because this infant is hope personified. This infant is hope. You see the future. You can see God's goodness in this child's midst and it's so much more so for Zechariah for who this child has been called to be in the grand scheme of the hope of God verse 76 you my child he says will be called a prophet of the Lord most high you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him you will give his people knowledge of salvation you will give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which The rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. I asked you at the beginning, if God shook you up during church today and he told you the impossible is possible, how would you respond? If he told you the extraordinary Will take place in your life, how would you react? And I asked you that question because these things in these words are the things that God says have and will come true. These are the impossible things that have already become true in the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so let me make it really practical. Do you need knowledge and assurance? that you'll be saved from your enemies? Do you have an enemy in your life that seems so strong and so mighty that there's no way in which to to push against it? Maybe, Maybe your enemy isn't a person. Maybe your enemy is a habit or an addiction or the weight of grief. Maybe your enemy is a sin that you have been living with so long that it seems impossible that God could ever rescue you from it, that he could ever forgive you from doing it. It's the thing you come to church every Sunday and you pray about. If you believe that those things are impossible, can I tell you something else that's impossible? Virgin birth. You know what else It tends to be? Impossible having a a baby when you're old enough to have had a subscription to AARP for at least 10 years. And yet the same God who did both of those things 2,000 years ago says he wants to do all of these things for you. And you think your sin is too much for him? Do you look out at the world and, and do you see the harshness of it and you long for the tender mercy of a God who is near? Do you long for light that shines into the darkness? Are you looking for a miracle that reminds you in this season that can be so lonely for so many of us that when we die, we will actually live in heaven forever with God? And we will live with our loved ones whom he has drawn near. And that that is not a figure of speech, but that is a reality. Not that we will be whisked away, but ultimately that God came down to be with us and promises to take us with him. That we will be where he has gone to be. That he has prepared a place for us. This is a literal truth. It seems impossible, but it is possible. Possible, and it has been accomplished through Jesus, and it took place two thousand years ago, and it will happen again when He returns. And until that day comes, His presence is with us, telling us through the testimony of His Spirit inside of us that these promises are already here. And if you need those promises to be spoken into your heart, all you need to do is answer the question that I asked at the beginning: if, if the impossible. Is said to be possible in you. If God comes to you and tells you that the impossible is going to happen, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? Are you going to fear the presence of a God who can? Are you going to believe that it is truth, even if you need to pray the prayer, help me in my unbelief? And are you going to rejoice? Knowing that because of what God has already done in your life and the lives of so many others and ultimately what he did 2,000 years ago by sending his son Jesus, that the impossible is possible and it has happened and it will happen in you. Fear, believe, and rejoice because friends, the story of Christmas is true. It's for you and it's for me because God came to be with us. We don't have to wait till December 24th And so let's come before God right now in prayer. Let's ask him to remind us of that truth as he lives in us. Lord Jesus, I I can't help but be reminded of your promise of peace. That as you would grow to become a man and as you would prepare the disciples for this time that we live in between your coming as an infant and as you're coming back in the second coming that we look forward to in the season of Advent, you told us that you do not leave us alone, but that you leave us with your peace. That your Holy Spirit, your presence is in us and with us. That as Zechariah worked in the temple, as he stepped in to the presence of God, the presence of God has stepped into us. The temple cloth was torn in two. You don't need to send an angel to speak to us because your presence whispers in our hearts and our minds, and our souls. Because the presence of Christmas, the promise of Christmas, is that the presence of God is with us. That not only did Jesus come as an infant, but that he sent his spirit to be with you and me right now. And so God, would you speak? Would you speak to a world that is weary? Would you speak to those of us who are are begging you, Help us to believe that the impossible is possible in you. That our future is secure. That our presence is filled with grace. That our sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. Because you didn't just come to live as an infant, but you came to grow up to become a man. You came to live the perfect life. So that you might present yourself as the ultimate sacrifice that would pay For the sins of the world and a mystery that no one will ever be able to comprehend and one that we could never earn ourselves, but one that has been freely given to us in you. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus, you didn't just die on a cross, but three days later you rose from the grave.